it's like the 960 that I did for a double. And I had just torn the pectoral off. And uh, Bruce Wilhelm said, he's not getting his shoulders back. I did two and said, the second one's for you, Bruce. I could have done 10 <laughs> reps with that. One of the toughest strong men in history, right here. Hi, this is the first ever Giants Live Strongman podcast, hosted by Ramsey. Ramsey. <laughs> Welcome to the Giants Live Strongman podcast. Colin Bryce, Darren Sadler, myself, and today's guest is none other than, in my opinion, the strongest man who's ever lived, the three times world's strongest yeah. man, because man! Thank you so much. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you. How are you? Great to be here. Yeah. How do you want to start it off? Get some questions? What are you going to do? Okay, can I start? Can I kick off with the very first question? Sure. Have you ever met a man who you think is stronger than yourself? It's <laughs> a great question. I don't know. Yeah, a couple. <laughs> Yuri Geller. <laughs> he can bend spoons with his mind. <laughs> Anybody that's got telekinetic powers is stronger than me. Because if I'm going to move something, I've got to use my hands. I can't use my mind to float that cup across the table without touching it. That's real strength. Dad, I'll tell that story about when um, Bill came into your son's school to roll a pan. Yeah. And you got the wrong frying pan. Oh, yeah, we got a frying pan that was a bit too thick, but uh, Bill still rolled it up. <laughs> all, all these tricks of getting the thin frying pans. And we got we got a real proper thick, you know. T-Fowl one. Was, was, was there any anger? Was there any disgust when he saw it? Well, he just said, he just said, oh, this is, this is uh, probably not the best one to do it in a cheese one. <laughs> I thought I said it was bollocks. He just said, I'll do it anyway, you know. Yeah, if, if it's Teflon coated, that's when it becomes more difficult, yeah, right? Yeah, And you'd be surprised, some of the frying pans that you roll are thin, and you think, by looking at it visually, it's, that's going to be easy. But they use a different metal. Yeah. So the thicker ones with the soft metal are the easy ones. Just got to pick the right one. Because aluminiums are all cheapy ones, aren't they? Pretty much. And if they have a, a lip on them, they're really hard. One day, at, for over the weekend, Metrix became retailer, wholesalers of a, from a pan company and bought 50 pans. In two days, I rolled 40 of those. Wow. <laughs> Did you train grip, Bill? Did you, have you always had a strong grip? Not really. As a matter of fact... When I did my powerlifting, every all the deadlift, uh, all the lat work, I used straps and relaxed my hand so that I could take the bicep out of the pull and use back uh, with whatever I was doing in the lift. So it dawned on me when I tried a world record deadlift at the day that I set the world record total at 1,100 kilos. I pulled 848 in pounds and tried 887, and I got it to the top of the lockout. Uh, where it's literally 15 kilos I left on the platform uh, because my grip opened up. So I never realized I've got a really short hand. And when it was really meaty, you could see what happens to the bar. It gets pushed out to the fingertips. I could have used some figure eights because I don't have that great a grip. You've got, you got outrageous crushing strength. I guess it's different strength. It's kind of a holding strength, yeah, that's true. a crushing <coughs> strength. What year did the, did the straps come in then on deadlift? 
interestingly. I'm, was that sort of 2015-ish? Well, when were they first allowed? Yeah, when we were Straps first allowed in, I mean, she's like a thing in, in 96 and Mauritius, they used straps and a dead oh, horse. As early as that? Yeah, yeah that's right. when, when um, but the bad horse, bad horse, pulled 410 on, on the Flintstone bar. He was, Maggie was using very, very wow. good straps on him that Maggie had. Yeah. Um, but really, no one had figure of eight then, that's for sure. I really like the idea that yeah. straps are allowed only because it gives the athletes the ability to take the grip out of it. Maybe with a figure eight, drop it down to the fingertips, have a little longer lever, get in better position, and really find out who's the strongest guy. And also then you can get some cool events to test grip as well, like Hercules hold and, and car hold and stuff like that. So you can still test the grip at a different event. I think I think doing a deadlift without straps and then having a grip event is probably too much on the guy. Is there an event where you could test crushing strength? Because you because it's all kind of holding strength, isn't it? Which is obviously something Felix is very good at. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. But you, your particular forte was was crushing. Is that all right? I mean, if you can do a, a thick frying pan, that's pretty darn good. I, I saw Brian Shaw flying a, a lot of different frying pans, actually. He actually bought like, a whole smorgasbord of different ones well, to I, see what he could do and couldn't do. I learned from a guy about 100 and... Well, I think he was your size, Redzi. Dennis 120 Rogers. kilos. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, he had remarkable grip strength where he could bend a wrench. Mm. He could take a deck of cards... Not only rip it in half, he'd tape his fingers together, and he'd rip it in half like this. He would take and rip a chunk out of the center of a deck of cards. How? Wow. He had something really special that he connected with this higher power and was quite the religious man. And what he could do with his hands was truly remarkable. When he rolled a frying pan, he would take his wristwatch off, and after rolling it, He'd take it and stick it through his wristwatch. And he had pretty small wrists, so quite impressive. Did you ever do the, 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 the big yellow telephone books? Yeah, but I, I had to, uh, well, we stored them in the oven. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, you're not using your oven for bacon or anything, so you might as well cook the books. <laughs> <laughs> Pull one out when you need it, pop it, rip it. Yeah, it's easy. That's interesting that you're saying that he had a thin wrist, because in my head, you need to have thick joints to have a good grip, but that isn't the case. Well, in Dennis's case, he was an arm wrestling world champion. And oftentimes they talk about two tendons in the wrist, and he actually developed three, which uh, developed the third one uh, to the point where he had so much power. It was truly incredible what he could do. He could take a deck of cards and hold it out at arm's length, and have a girl lay across his arms and still take that chunk out of the deck of cards. Dennis Rogers. Yeah. There's been a few guys over years, though, that have been in strongman and haven't really made a massive mark in strongman, but have had unbelievable grip and they go do these different challenges. Remember a guy years ago I competed against, remember the guy, the guy Lane Snook? Remember Lane Snook? Mm, yeah. He went on to do amazing things in the grip world with all the iron mind challenges and stuff like that so, so poundstone was poundstone as, as i i saw him do a do a, a, a you know a, a claw hammer just like that yeah and he used to do the telephone books and actually i remember when we did madison square garden back in the day oh eight they actually got us on the garden got us on uh, cbs early morning show which is like 25 million people I remember being on Fifth Avenue and uh, a very camp producer coming up. Oh, what's first then, guys? You know, <laughs> like Poundstone here. He's our man. He's our hero. He's going to rip some telephone books. Great, great, great. Fantastic. And just before he did it, it was like a sort of 
a prophetic moment from, from Poundstone. He went, hey, Colin, just so you know, like one in 50, they double glue it <laughs> in the system. Just to warn you, I, I, I always can do it. Don't worry, I'll be fine. But, uh, you know. <laughs> and over back outside too, whatever, you know, our guys are going to be at Madison Square Garden you know, tomorrow night. Hey, listen how strong Derek Poundstone is. He sat there. And there was this sort of like for two minutes and he sort of looked up at me and was like, oh no. Hey, uh, drink another uh, protein shake there, Derek. We'll come back to you later on. <laughs> but the worst thing was we then had a, it's a story, it's nothing to do with grip, but it got worse. We had, we had like three slots. So in the second slot, the guy was like, listen, can you do this, guys? We have another phone book. We'll do it again. We'll do it with another phone book. We'll explain what it is. Please give us another slot. Came back. So, okay, you're going to do that, but then you're going to pull the bus, okay? And it, it, so Derek got all strapped in. So he came back. So, he pulls it, rips it. Thank God. You know, you know the, the face has been saved. But now Derek's also, he's going to pull this bus. But it had been there since four in the morning and it flat spot. The tires are basically were like squares. So it was almost on a downhill slope. You almost couldn't help but pull it when we got there. But by the time it came, it was just, it was, the tires were flat, totally flat. So it's an awful moment of, here comes Derek. <laughs> and if anyone's ever seen the footage, I've never seen it, thank God. But I grab about three of the other strongmen as I see what's happening. And I take them round the back and we start pushing the bus like this. To try and finally we get it moving. Because it's just you know, a, a truck of bus flat spots. It's a nightmare. That's why you always try to keep driving back with voice, keep the tire pressure, keep it hot, the wheels hot. Anyway, it's just a nonsense story, but that was here. When things go wrong on live telly. Yeah, right. Let me take you back to Dennis Rogers. I mean, what a guy. He took a horseshoe. This is a regular horseshoe. And he straightened it out. That's that I way. went, wow. That's something. And then he kept bending and bending and bending. And he turned it into a heart. Get away. With his bare hands. He gave me one that he straightened. Okay, it's about that long after it's straight. I took it back to the hotel. I looked around. I saw the safe. The door was open. It's this long. I weigh 330 pounds. I stick the edge of it into the door and close it. And I start leaning on it with all my weight. It's not giving. And kachoom, the hinge of the safe breaks. How this guy is able to take that thing and bring it into a wow. heart is totally phenomenal. He's truly something special. So, I mean, uh, my, my, my mind's still working here. So, surely it's, you wrap the ends, right? That gives you more leverage. That has to happen, right? That's part of it. It's softer, yeah. Helps. Uh, so, like, probably with, um, also with the tap, you know this well, don't you? At least I think you know this well, because Cape's told me this. But when, oh, you, when, when you crack the metal over your head in a bar bend, you have to be unbelievably quick to your neck. Do you know why? Mm. Do you, please tell me you know why. Because, you compete with this. the heat. The heat. Sure. Yes, the heat. Because as soon as it bends, the, the particles heat up and no one's getting it moving again in that position. And it's a quite a weak position, isn't it? You need that, that metal to be hot. At least you can feel the heat as you bend it and crack it over your skull. It's a ridiculous event. And then hit it as hard as you can and it'll keep wow. going because it's, it's heated up. That makes sense. So I assume he must... It's still, it's still mad, isn't it? Mm. How the heck you get the leverage on it to pull it without putting pipes on it or something? I sure had a problem with that steel bar bend over the head. Back in the day, 
when they when they first started off in 77 and 8 doing bar bend uh, they brought it in for us and i bent a piece that was nearly three quarters of an inch all the way to completion of hot rolled steel but then for some reason they said well it didn't look good for tv because one year they tried to paint it so then that, that the following year they said yeah train with the same one you've been using i didn't bother to train at all and when we showed up they said this looks better for tv it's shiny i thought oh that's nice at least my neck won't get all full of dirt and crap it was cold rolled steel three times stronger which uh needless yeah. to say tore the pectoral off so what do you do after you tear your pectoral off in deltoid there's four events left go to hospital right <laughs> my doc says come on we gotta go i go doc you see that title right there world's strongest man and that trophy over there and that check for 20 grand my shoulders all blown apart <laughs> i said i'm not going to the hospital until i get my stuff in the next four events where do you think i'd, I'd end up probably seventh eighth <coughs> ninth ah next event squat all week long i had to listen to dave waddington's name announced as the man with the world's strongest legs dave waddington screw that I stuffed myself inside of that Smith bar rack and did 969 with my pectoral torn off. Surely he wanted to beat you, didn't he? No. <laughs> no. Heck no. But I, I know you like the bending stuff, but uh, yeah, so out of those four events, uh, I think I took a sixth in wrestling because I, I couldn't handle the guys with one hand, but I took a third in the caber toss and was, he a, was it a tendon or, or muscle tear in the pec? When, right in the middle did, of the pectoral. And the big front, hole there, wasn't it? And the front deltoid came off. Yeah, there was you remember a the co- there's a famous piece of commentary. The guy went, um, I believe Mr. Kazmaier has suffered some form of muscle pull. And Kaz is like, ah! He's got a huge hole in his chest. <laughs> yeah, really painful. Well, you're a genius, I tell you, that But one of those bending things that I did with my hands over the years, I, I tore up my shoulders pretty bad. My doctor said, after two surgeries to this shoulder and one to the other one, he said, Bill, stop bending those bolts. We take a 10-inch bolt, three-eighths of an inch thick, and I'd get in front of a school group of school kids and start to bend it. And as I did, I'd say, if you're kind and caring and sharing and thoughtful, forgiving, understanding, respectful, responsible, and loving. And I hold it up, and it's built, bent into a horseshoe. I talk about karma and the seeds you sow, you reap, things that you do come back to you. And so I used it as a prop doing those things over quite a few years. And after the doc said, Bill, I can't do much for your shoulders, but just don't bend any more bolts. I bent 500 more. And some guys never learn. Bill, back then, how long before you competed did you find out what the events were? The night before that day. As late as that? Yeah. Well, really a shame in the first one I went into. I came out of Southern California after going to the powerlifting world championships. Terry Todd invited me to his house and to train for World's Strongest. I didn't know he was going to be the commentator. Uh, He didn't tell me there was a barrel lift. He didn't tell me there was a truck pull. He didn't tell me any of the events. We just went into the gym, did squat, deadlift, press, bench press, some overhead dumbbell work, no emphasis on anything. And I got to the show, and then there were the events. Little did I realize Don Reinhardt, Bob Young, and all the other athletes had been training with this stuff for a couple of years. So just imagine like in a barrel lift. I think I missed 300, and Don did a 310. If I would have had two or three workouts, I would have done 320. And Don trained with it for a couple of years. So 
being prepared for the events is truly important. What, what did you have? A, what did you military press back in the day? You know, we had a competition here in England where we did a dumbbell presses. I think they were one one twenty ones for seventeen eighteen reps. We had a clean and jerk or clean and press. I did near four hundred pounds. So we're talking about one eighty kilos, one eighty twos, four hundred. Mm-hmm. So one eighty. I did a lot of stuff in a Smith rack and free bar pressing. Because, I mean, military pressing was a lot, it was part of Olympic lifting for a while, wasn't it? It used to be the clean and press, clean and jerk, and snatch. Mm-hmm. Powerlifting, well, at one point was curl. I was going to say curl, yeah. Bench, <clears throat> squat, deadlift. Was it, was it four? Or did, or did bench come in, or did deadlift come in and replace curl? Well, it would have been the 60s, and, and uh, I'd never heard of a curl in a powerlifting competition. But, so squat. Bench they they did deadlift. that, though, didn't they? I think mm. in my head, my dad's did. a bit older it's, than you, but I'm sure he's yeah, 80s and he used to do powerlifting. I think it was, wasn't it? It's amazing how it's changed though. Now, like the guys, we give the guys a bench three or four months before, and we try to make sure nothing changes and everything. Everybody's if they don't have one piece of equipment, they're not happy, you know what I mean? Everyone's got to, which is right, there's less injuries yeah, as well. Yeah, you yeah. Give the guys train on the kit, the, the, the good, they're not going to get injured as much. Um, and, and you're going to get a more rounded athlete by training all that versatility. But strongman wasn't probably as big as well, was it? You know, you, you didn't have gyms full of equipment like you do now. Everywhere you live, there's a there's a, there's Strongman's a gym is kind of trendy now, isn't it? Yeah. You see, I mean, it's, it's now a part of, um, you know, sort of very trendy trainers online. People are flipping tires. It's not exactly. just some even, sort even of weirdo, weirdos uh, kind of, you know. You some, need, you need mm-hmm. your, if, you, if you want to train... On strongman stuff, so you had to make it yourself. Whereas now, yeah, everyone can go just find somewhere farmers' walks, yorks, things like that. So I think that's why you're getting such an influx of, of lads coming through because they can get the kit. I think CrossFit's helped definitely because it yeah. makes it means people my size can practice doing things that normally superhumans get to do. Yeah, and if, it works. If my mind serves me correctly, Yoko Ahola was probably the first 25 years ago in '97 mm. to do all events and the one thing he did in powerlifting was deadlift we often thought that when he got up out of his bed and he started to walk down the hall to go to the bathroom there was a deadlift bar or some stones he'd lift those go to the bathroom go get some milk and come back when you looked at this guy with his power it was as if when he got off that bed to go down the hall and he wanted to get a glass of milk he could probably have just gone right through the wall, mm. but that was the choice he had to make. Yoko was the lightest guy ever to win it, I believe. What, what, what he, I think I, th- I think he was one seventeen in yeah. one year and one nineteen in another year. That must be the lightest guy to win it, surely. And he's what, what, what were you your lightest when when you competed? Of interest, like one fifteen first year, and by the by my last year I was like <laughs> one. 22 something like that you've almost you, dad, when has dad's ever looked any different he's like <laughs> massive <laughs> I, feel, I, feel, I feel different <laughs> how, how long have I known you now 20 odd years 22 23 yeah. years you, know, you look identical but the crazy thing is though Daz is you think so how long was it 2015 you did Britain's last time I did Britain's 16 yeah and so you think how old were you then uh, 36 so roll on almost exactly 20 years and Mark Felix is still competing oh yeah it's yeah. just really. <laughs> well, Mark Felix, Mark's first competition was I was in it, and it was a uh, Britain Songs Band qualifier in Spennymoor, and we, we turned up and uh, you had to do, I can't remember the exact numbers. You had to do, it was a one twenty log and a, a somewhere around a three hundred deadlift, 
And if you didn't do one of those, you had to go home. So Mark turned up, couldn't do the lock, and then went home. Really? No. That was it. So if, if, he, if he didn't do, if he couldn't do the first, mm. one of those, you just dropped out, that was it. He couldn't go on. Mm. And uh, I think he did the deadlift first, and then he did the log, couldn't do it, and went home. <clears throat> and I, I often say this about Mark. Imagine if he had a good press, because he got so many podiums. Mark's, mm. Mark's pressing isn't very good, it's no, no secret. Um, <clears throat> but he still gets on the podiums. So imagine if he was a good presser, because he's not like he, he's got the muscle on his shoulders. You know, he's a big guy. Mm. You know, he's, uh, never, he's never been a good presser. If he was, if he was a mediocre presser, mm. he, he'd have had a lot more titles. Yeah, but he's great. Everything's great. Grip. He's back strong. You know, well, what was his best WSM final finish? He's been there three times. I want to say, I want to say like fifth or something like that. I think he was, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, Dom Pope was uh, the two thousand six, wasn't it? He made, came fifth, I think. Yeah. Okay. Right? It was. It was the oldest. Fister, guy Fister Marius Pope were on the on the podium. Yeah, Odd Hogan's probably the oldest one to do it. I think. Uh, what about Bardenhorst? No, I think Odd Hogan. No, was Odd Hogan was fifty fifty-five or fifty-six. It was. Yeah. He did it. He was in, in two, the same year, two thousand six. Yeah. Same year. There was a lot of. Yeah, yeah I was there that year. Remarkable guy. Kaz yeah, was there that year. Pretty well there. Hey, you did pretty well. <laughs> right, yeah. I've got, I've got a photo of you two together. Actually, yeah. I should give it to you. <laughs> Seeing my office. I'm not sure if I was. First one to call you the giant killer or not. Oh, yeah. yeah, you were obsessed with that the whole thing. <laughs> I just I go, wait a minute. This guy's like a little bit shorter, but a little bit wider and a little lighter. But the things he was doing with the weights were phenomenal. I it's strange because you go, <clears throat> you, know, you look at people, obviously Kaz is retired, I'm retired, and you, you look at it and like your mindset then is so different to now. Because not, you know, you know, like, Towards the end of your career, then you go into World's Strongest Man, you're thinking, oh, I might go this year, I might have one more go. Whereas when you're younger, someone asks if you're going to World's Strongest Man, I'm like, yes, because I'm still breathing, you know, I'm going to go. <laughs> and then and when, when it's the time of, when you're not sure whether you should go, you shouldn't go. So there's an amazing... Mm. It's true though, isn't it? If you're not yeah. sure, mm. you, that's time to... Oh, it's like someone should I have this boxing match. If, you, if you're even asking that question... Don't, don't have do it. it. Don't do you it. You know, they do the docs every year and they would do sort of the behind the scenes stuff. I remember behind the scenes on one year that you went and it was the year that you got married. Yeah. And they cut to a shot of your wife and then they say, how happy are you to be here? And she just went, we shouldn't even be here. This is my, <laughs> this is my honeymoon, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah we changed the date of the wedding, which went out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we were meant to be on honeymoon, yeah. But they changed the date of World's Strongest Man. I actually booked the wedding around World's Strongest Man, yeah. then they changed the date. So we got married and flew straight out to Anaheim in 07. So, you're it was, such a romantic. Free, it, was, it was a free honeymoon, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, it's weird how your mindset changes. And, it, you know, you look back at that, you know, still love training that, but you look back and it seems like you were a different person back then. Like, it seems like that guy was like just somebody that used to know or something. You know what I mean? It's really weird to think like that. But is it tough to look at guys now and think, I know I could have beaten those guys? Yeah, that happens all the time. <laughs> Excuse me. People talk about you a lot. I don't know. It's specifically you. They say, "What if you put Kazmaier in that?" Yes. A lot of people say that. Well, Kaz was so far ahead of his hit rest of his era at one point, which is why I think people cost to say, "Okay, Kaz, you, 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 what do you think of these guys lifting these incredible deadlifts?" Then, and I think your answer is always perfect. You, uh, you know, at your time, you went up and you outlifted everybody. In every lift, just pretty much every lift, and so, sometimes by some enormous margins. Well, and, and you won the what, WSM by 25 points, Kaz? 
Uh, uh, yeah, a little bit more. I think I beat Capes by 30 one year. And Lars Sutherland was that <laughs> one more. So I beat Lars uh, by 29. How much more could you do then? So that's why it's fascinating. So era to era. When the thing is comparing, comparing it is like, I don't know. It's like saying, oh, what's better, a 50-year-old classic Ferrari or a new Ferrari? Well, you can't really compare those things, can you? Yeah. they both got the, you know what I mean? You can't, the race against different cars, you know what I mean? Well, I'll try. <laughs> Let's take deadlift back in the day with the, sil- the coin lift, silver dollar. It's a lot like the elephant bar or at the Arnold with the, with the Hummer tires. Hummer tires, you're, once you're over the knees, it's still bending. You're almost stood up before it's really off the floor and you're locking out, especially at my height. Imagine back in the day when I did a squat at 870 pounds and I tore one adductor. So what do you do? You stop? Hell no. You wrap it. And you go 950 and tear the other one. Now you're headed into deadlift. The first warm-up is 300. Really tough. Got to go stiff-legged. The last warm-up is 600. Then we start off at 7. I'm stiff-legged. 7, 8, 9, 925, 50, 75, 1,000. The other competitors are going, oh, they're, they're getting bored. It's me and Ernie Hackett. We ended up at 1,055. Just imagine two healed legs. It's like the 960 that I did for a double, and I had just torn the pectoral off, and uh, Bruce Wilhelm said he's not getting his shoulders back. I did two and said, the second one's for you, Bruce. I could have done 10 <laughs> reps with that. So, so watching that. Second <laughs> one's for you. Yeah. So, you know, when you say then and now, and uh, have the athletes really gotten that much stronger? I don't know. I think I could have done about a 1,200-pound elephant. So that would be right up in suits, there. figure in of eight, training. things like that. Things, yeah. things, yeah. I'm going to just chuck something else out there. So I watched this interview, and they were talking about who are the greatest sportsmen of all time, and they made a criteria. And they said it's impossible to compare eras, but here's how we're going to do it. So to be a great, you need to not only be the leader in your era, you need to have a defining moment. So they were saying, for example, in gymnastics, Simone Biles, Olga Komenech, etc. What's that moment? Then how many eyeballs did you bring to the sport that didn't watch before? And then also the size of the sport as well. So it's no good being the, the greatest ever tiddlywinks champion because no one's really playing it. But with yourself, there are, if you ask anyone who watches Strongman, what are your favorite moments? At the moment, the last, say, 10 years, you might say Eddie pulling 500 kilos. You go back and include your era. There are so many defining moments, even just the way your eyes protrude out of your head alone before you lift is... The, right! <laughs> <laughs> the wrestling moment, the Smith machine. There's so much. So for me, it's just undeniable on every measuring stick. The greatest. Oh, you're That's my opinion. Uh, you know, my contention is how, that... How much you paying, Mads? You know? <laughs> Plenty. <laughs> my contention is that I kind of like to look at athletes and how they perform. I remember a guy in Africa, big guy with a beard, got a hangnail. So he went home. I tore shit off and just kept going. And that's really the measure of a man is how you react on a bad day. Uh, but as far as tiddlywinks, <laughs> I beg to differ. I grew up with tiddlywinks and manhole covers. <laughs> but the hard part was getting a basket that will hold up. <laughs> you know, they're 100 pounds. <laughs> there's there's a, lot, a lot of things that make it different, though, isn't there? I mean, like even, even to the point of the amount of support the athletes are getting now, 
off sponsors. You know, there's some great sponsors out there that are. Uh, but can I just bring it back? So there was a point that was going on there that I, I wanted to comment on. Actually, as, as you mentioned, Ahola, and the biggest comment about Ahola that needed mentioned was not just his deadlift, but he was the first guy to train strongman. Yeah. And that was, I think, the real crux of that. The only thing he did was... So, in other words, so Bill would find out, you guys did powerlifting training. Even Maggie. I thought Maggie had done a, a bit more than most. But he said to me, no, nope, I never had a log. Mm. He never had a log in his whole time. So how can you expect... Because the wow. comment came because I said, what was your best ever log? And he, there's always that slight kind of, oh, jeez. Nowadays, guys are doing 220 kilos and you, and you have to go, oh, all right, 175 or mm. something. But he never had a log to train on. So that's a pretty darn that's good log. <laughs> you don't have a log to train on, you know? Yeah, nowadays, if people don't have the kit, you know, like I say, it's... Uh... And Ahola used to do, I think, three three days, uh, or two days strongman, two days powerlifting was his kind of, yeah. his heavy workout. So, yeah, I think that's well, worth more noting very much. You know, not only did we not have the events, we had the mindset where we didn't need the events. It's just like, put it in front of us, we'll do it. I went to a co competition called Le Defi Mark 10. There was four events throw a 56-pound block off the back of a truck for distance, mm. do a partial squat of one inch, do a wheelbarrow with about 850 pounds in your hands for maybe eight meters, and then a 200-meter shuttle run with 90 kilos sack on your back. Mm. And I, I've, it's 50 down or back, down or back. I watched the competition in Montreal, Canada for, for Canadian championship. And I went home and I built the sack. I put it on my back. I ran up a little hill and I said... Screw that. I'm not going to train with this thing. On the partial squat, I got in the, in the hack squat, put all the weight on it I could, and did sets of 50 and 100 with about three or four inches. I, I threw the rock just a little bit. And as far as that uh, wheelbarrow race and the deadlift, uh, that's all I did was deadlift. So when I got to the competition, I did really well and broke the record in the throw. I did okay in, in the wheelbarrow. In that partial squat, we went... Nearly 2,000 pounds, 1,800. And then when it came to that sack race, I was really motivated because what happened in the Canadian championships, uh, there was an old Highland Games guy and the Canadian champion racing. And I watched how that Highland Games athlete, almost 40 years old, couldn't keep up with the Canadian. He just outran him a little bit on each length. So what I did was I took off on that first 50 yards and when i got near the finish to turn i didn't slow down and then i just like a truck turned and took off and made this guy catch me i did that once twice on the third one i turned and i put down the afterburners and i just ran away from him i set their world record and they had done this competition for five six years and i never trained with it so there was our mindset you don't really have to train the events Back in the day, you just have to be strong and as strong mm -hmm. as you can be. What do you think is the most important thing then? You know, people always say, is it genetics? Is it mindset? Is it nutrition? Is it training? Mm -hmm. Well, for is it all of it. Oh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. But for a specific, I really think it's your environment and how you grow up. So many of the guys that are from a, they were adopted, they don't have parents, they had a rough, tough childhood. Like, for instance, you didn't have it easy, living on the farm and the rest, but you had a great role model and role models and brother and people around you, uh, and you were extremely successful because you were like them. For myself and many athletes that I see, they never really had anybody to follow. 
And so you try to find somebody, that, a hero type that you can emulate. And for me, it was a guy named Jim Thorpe, the great mm. Carlisle Indian. Mm. He won the pentathlon, the decathlon, was a pro football player, pro baseball player. That's who I wanted to be like. How could I do that? Do everything extremely well and not focus. Uh, when we had our competition yesterday, and you see our Ukrainian boys, and know what they're doing, fighting in a war, and how tough their life is, and how they've grown up. I think it's environment that puts something in your heart, your mind, and when your soul says, I can, I will, I can, I will, I can, I will. The four strongest words in your vocabulary, three, I can, I will, repeated again and again and again. You can't fail. You know, you, there's, there's no room for doubt. And uh, I think that has probably the biggest impact is mental. But then surely it's, uh, it's mm. going to be physical. Look at Mark Felix. Is that a catcher's mitt? <laughs> How many times do his fingers go around the bar? <laughs> My fat little hand would, would squeeze the bar out through its fingertips. Uh, so, yeah, is it genetics? Is it uh, uh, yeah. body well, type? One thing I think a lot of them that you speak to over years, obviously we've all spent a lot of time with the guys, I think myself as well and possibly yourself included, is that like if, if someone starts doing strongman, they might not have a particularly good job, maybe not earn a lot of money. And if they're good at it, if if they're only good at that, like I found myself was like, that was what I was good at. I didn't have a lot of other options. That was what I felt I was good at. I didn't do well at school or anything like that. So you think, right, this is this is your shot. And mm. I don't think it's like even a, it's not even a case of wanting to do well. It's, it's the fear of failure mm, more yeah. than... The want to do well, if that makes sense. Makes total sense. I, I think. I think, like Eddie, for instance. You know, we all know it. We all here know Eddie quite well. I don't think Eddie. I don't think it's. The, I don't think it's wanting to do well. It's the fear of him losing is, is his main drive. Mm-hmm. And and same with all the guys. Really, mm-hmm. Thor. I don't know what you think about that. Oh, without a doubt, I th- I believe the reason that I trained as heavy as I did in the gym, which is some incredible things, if I would explain the volume, was the fear that when I wasn't ready to go to the competition, and in fact, I was so overtrained, I'd done so much in the gym, that a lot of the times it didn't translate onto the platform because I'd done way too much and I wasn't recovered. You were so far in front. I, I, but I, I funny, I, I said this lesson to Bibi, you know, the other day. I remember you telling me this when I was younger, and, and that was you, the one thing you'd have changed about your training. Wasn't, wasn't, oh, I wish I'd done all the events and this and that, because it, your training was your training. You can't just change everything. But I remember you saying it was to I think it was to Jamie Reeves. You said, "I wish I hadn't just trained so such volume right at the end." Just it was. Just, I think you said you had to do it for your own confidence. You'd go up and you'd be hitting these numbers again and again. And actually, if you hadn't, you might have gone you know, the one even further on, on, on contest that. day. The one mm. person that proves that is Andy Bolton. If you if you look at the, how little he lifts before a massive this lift, it's crazy. It blows your mind. He. You know, obviously, we all know he's like. Do, 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 do you know, Bibby, two days ago, because we just had the log yesterday, he, he sat in the Smith machine and did, did five plates either side yeah. and yeah. pressed it up and down. I can't believe it, yeah. I spent my life trying to convince him not to do things. It's a lot, it's a lot of weight to sit there and press up and down, isn't it? But so, so, you know, it's you, ten, 10 plates total, it's 200 kilos, like and whatever, some of the, whatever some of the Smith machine does before. It's a lot of pressing. Well, through history, I think we've seen athletes that can perform well by doing ultra high lifts for five, six, eight weeks before the competition and still be at their best in the competition. Myself, we did a periodization, which was a lot of reps and sets with then 
increased resistance and dropping the number of reps until we came to a point. And that peaking was a, really a short period of time. But uh, I guess it depends on your belief system and just how your body performs. If I wasn't doing hypertrophy phase right up to the competition and just if I could br- brush my teeth or comb my hair, I wasn't pumped enough. So we really blasted the weight. And I don't believe that our strongmen are doing that today. They're doing less volume, more technique work, much lower repetitions. To, well, their, to their benefit. Oh, without a doubt. Well, they're lasting longer as well. There's mm. some of these guys that are in it for a long time now. Mm. Most people are in and out pretty quick. And I think that's due to, you know, being more specific on events mm. and possibly not. Because, I mean, it was, you felt that you were so far in front with your static lifts, you could have been probably 10, 20% weaker and still won those lifts. Oh, Which yeah. is you great. Know? But talking about kind of length, we're going to have to end our podcast there. The whole point of this thing is us to have conversations, but also for you to get stuck in as well. So if you have any questions at all you'd like to ask any of our future guests, please send them in and we will happily ask them. This one was for Bill Kazmaier, the legend that is. So it's been a special one. He'll be back. We've got to be back. I think for four, (laughs) five or six, because we can speak to Bill all day. Bill, thank you very much for inspiring us. But there's just one more story. Tell us. (laughs) Say you get hurt and you, uh, you want to adapt. You're doing high volume. In the bench press, after I set world record, I uh, and, and tore the pectoral off of the steel bar bend. What are you going to do? Well, if you move over about an inch and you put the load on this side, you take it off this one. I got back to a point where I did 600 pounds for a triple. My best in the past was 600 for five. I got ready to go to the competition two weeks out, and I came flying up with a squat, a 900 double. My coach said, ram this second one. I came flying up. The bar bent. I blew the nerve in this shoulder. My arm dropped. I had to pick it up to go and squat in 83 in Sweden. And then in the bench press off of a 600 triple, I did 501. (laughs) So you you try to adapt, try to overcome and just gloss over an injury. Sometimes it doesn't work. Is that the one where there's a blank? Is that the one where there's a, a shot, the camera's on top of you and you can see the bar is just almost diagonal when you're pressing it? Yeah, uh, that's another one. That's where I corked. I let two guys wrap my knees, and I corkscrewed in the squat. There were six angels standing behind me. As I fell to my face, going fudge. That's with a fudge, like real sweet. <laughs> uh, these guys caught the weight, almost nine hundred pounds. I came back later. I couldn't hardly walk. I couldn't push on my feet, and I bench pressed. As it started to move, ah, uh, I couldn't control it, and I just rolled it out. So when you look at that lift and you analyze just how strong some guys are in the upper body, I watched something going on over in the Sandy area on our planet with a guy doing nearly 800 pounds. Julius Maddox. Well, he does a real legit bench. Mm. I'm talking about the guys with a bar that when they put it on the rack, it goes click, 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 like, the bar doesn't So. I mean, if you've got a big weight, that bar bends. And as you heave it in the glass, it's like, yeah. So many more stories. Look forward to coming back. Yes. Thanks for the opportunity to be on your podcast. The King. Thank you. Thanks, guys. We've had our differences in the past. Is it bum bag or is it fanny pack? We're two powerful nations with a special relationship. For one night only, that special relationship ends. UK versus USA. Who is the strongest nation? Who is right? The strong men decide. World's Strongest Nation, 18th of November, MS Bank Arena, Liverpool. Tickets at giants-live.com.
By the way, it's us. We're right. It's Bumbag, of course.